We're on page 63. We're finishing up the third step. And um, you have this handout which shows this picture of self and wrongs and fear. Everybody have this? You can look at this. And this has to do with what we're trying to treat and make a decision based on in the, um, in the third step. Uh, the third step is where we're going to make a decision. And we're making a decision that I'm not going to be God anymore. That I'm going to let God be God and I'm going to be uh, not be the director of the stage but the actor in, in my life, directions from God. And they show us on 60 to 62 um, why that won't work. And if you look at this, this is self in the center and the basic instincts of life. And we all have basic instincts of life. And uh, we try to fulfill them based on what we think we need. And when we do that, we get in conflict with everybody and everyone. And we get wrong thinking, which is, uh, uh, and is manifest in three ways. Uh, resentments is wrong judgment. Fear is wrong belief. And then we harm people. And this ties into what we're going to be starting on the fourth step tonight. And the fourth step is we inter we're going to inventory the manifestations of wrongs when we direct our lives. And when we have resentments, fear, and harms or hurt, we're separated from God, and then we uh, seek the ease and comfort of alcohol. And so we don't want to live this way anymore. So the book says that selfishness, self-centeredness, is the root of my problem. So this is, the, this is our disease right here. This is a disease, it's an addiction to me and what I want. Anybody relate to that? And then when I don't get what I want or I feel threatened, uh, then I get angry or I get fearful or I t make conduct to get what I want and I harm others. And so it said we must be rid of the selfishness. Anybody agree with that? It's going to kill me. It's going to kill me in several ways. It may. It, it, it's going to kill me spiritually and then if I'm if I'm killed spiritually, I have no defense against alcohol, but it, it'll also make me um, suffer a life of, of uh, resentment, fear, and harming others. And how do you feel when you do that? You don't feel good. And so it says God makes that possible. So to change this, I need God. I can't fix this. But I need God makes this possible. And how I go from self to God in the center is the spiritual exercises of 4 through 9 and then live in 10, 11, and 12. Uh, asking God to do it won't work. Thinking about it won't work. I have to do the actions and then it just happens. And it says um, we had to have God's health. I cannot reduce my self-centeredness on my own. Now, when you come in here, you're a tree. You don't know that. But you're a tree, and we're looking at the branches and the fruit on your tree. And I don't want to tell you, but it's not pretty. And a tree based, rooted in self-centeredness, because it says selfishness, self-centeredness, the root of our troubles. So we're rooted in self-centeredness, and then the tree is full of resentment, fear, and harms. And people will say, How does, what's the fruit of your life looking like? In which areas is your life not bearing fruit? What they mean is, what areas of your life are you managing so your tree in that area looks pretty bad? Does this make sense? So the fruit of a life run on self-will is not pretty. 
So we need to change the soil because it says self-serious is the root of my troubles. And it says my troubles are of my own making. Now, if my troubles are of my own making, it means changing you won't fix me. See, when you come in here, you think it's them or situations, but it's me. It's me running my life on selfishness, deciding what I want. And so if I can change the way I think, then my life will change. And I change the way I think by having God direct my thinking, and we, we inventory when we're thinking self-centered and when it's destroying us. And then we learn how to recognize resentment, fear, and we learn how tools to face to be rid of this so that God can then direct me. When I'm resentful, God cannot get into that mind. The power at that point is whoever I'm resentful at or whatever I'm resentful at. Does this make sense? And so this is a, a, a hope because this can change. We can change this with God's help. And the steps are the directions to change this. And it says very simply, you know, I'm going to quit playing God and I'm going to have a new employer. I'm going to work for God. And it says, being all-powerful, he's going to provide what I need if I stay close to him and perform his work well. His work on, on fulfilling my instincts of life. With his direction, and staying close to him means that I, I constantly am inventorying when I'm separating from God. And we want to achieve conscious contact with God, a relationship with God. Because when we do that, we have access to power. And when we have, we have access to power, we keep close to him, he'll provide everything I need. And it says, uh, we're now at step three, and we read the prayer last week. I had a, a couple thoughts. Uh, it says, take away my difficulties, the victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. And I was thinking about it. Uh, me right here, right now, Going through this information is, a, is an example of that power of God in my life. When I came in here, I couldn't have foreseen being able to do this. And so he took away my difficulties, and I see this as an example. So I, 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 I'm, I'm happy I can do this. I'm glad I have the abilities, but I see it as the power of God. It's his love for me, uh, practicing his way of life, I'm able to do this. And you can see it in ways in your life in your relationships, in your work, how you're, you're able to do things now because of the power of God working in your life. It's a great testimony. This book is a testimony. It's a testament. And so every person in this room can be a testament to the power of God. And that's, that's what we are. Uh, and that's why people are attracted to us to do the steps and take the steps we took. And so... Um, now, after the third step prayer, there's a warning. Most people never read this line. So you say the prayer, God, offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Believe me in the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Now, this is the way the big book's written. They always give you a warning. And it says, we thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready. This is a powerful step. This is a major change for an alcoholic to make this decision. And it says that I could at last abandon myself utterly to him. 
And abandon means you give it up. You abandon ship. You don't jump off the ship and then go back on. You abandon it. You want to abandon yourself, what you think you need to fulfill all your instincts of life. And you want to abandon yourselves utterly to God. So there are no minced words there. Now, it's very hard to do. And you'll hear people say, well, I turn it over and take it back. Well, all we're doing is making a decision to do this. How we do it and how we are able to uh, get God's direction is we do steps four through nine. And if you join us Saturday, you will see how on page 84, you're now in the world of the spirit. And you've worked step four through nine into step 10. When you're in the world of the spirit, you have a connection to God. And then it gives you instructions all day long so you stay in that world of the spirit because we're constantly separating from God because he gave us free will. And our self comes in and then we have to recognize it. We talked about today at the noon meeting. It was really good. And how we recognize it and we get back to God constantly. So we get on the beam and when we're on the beam, we're okay and we're okay right in the now. Now, if you're in resentment, you're not in the now. You're in the past. If you're in fear, you're not in the now. You're in the future. You're not with God. Now, I found this parable in the Bible, and it's the third step parable, and I thought I'd read it. It says, a drunk is staggering along the street. He meets God. He says, God, I can't do this anymore. Can you give me sobriety? God says, sobriety is not for free. How much money do you have? The drunk reaches into his pocket, 50 bucks. I'll take it, says God. Give it to me. You are now sober. The man stands up straight, drunk no more. He feels great. But God, I gave you my money willingly, but I have to get gas in my car. You have a car? Yes. Well, you did tell me that you had a car. I'm going to take your car also. It is part of the price of your sobriety. So he says to God, but how do I get to work? He goes, you have a job? <laughs> I'll take the job too. But God, how will I pay my mortgage? Mortgage, you have a house? I'll take your house also. But God, my family, how will I take care of them with no house or job? God says to him gently and lovingly, in order to keep your sobriety, you must give me these things. But I will let you drive my car so long as you uh, remember it is my car. You can have the job, but remember you work for me. It is my house, but I will let you live in it. As for your family, they are, all my, they are my family, but I will trust you will take care of them. Now, this is really what the third step is all about. Now, how do we follow through on this? That's hard to do. And that's why we study steps four through nine. Now, three birds are on a branch, and they make a decision to fly away. And uh, how many birds are then left on the branch? Three, because they haven't gone anywhere. They've made a decision, but they haven't taken any action. So step three is very powerful. It's a decision that you make, but you have to follow through with action. And it's a decision you really have to make every morning. I know Ed talks a lot about God is plan is, prayer is not plan B, but what we're really saying is we start out each day, at least I do, with prayer and meditation, asking God to be my director, asking God to guide me through the day. And then, so we've made that decision, and then we work steps 10 all day long to, uh, uh, so that can come true. Does this make sense? And it says, um, now when this book was written, there, were not, there was no AA, remember, 1939. And you can write the prayer any way you want. 
Uh, this one works for me, but you can write your own third step prayer. Dr. Bob had a different third step prayer that he took people up to the, th to the room in his house and they had to do the third step in front of the members and they had to d decide if he was serious enough to do it before they could actually go to the meeting. So this was a really, really important step. And it really is important to surrender completely. Now you know how if you've done that made the decision in step three, are you doing steps <coughs> four through nine? Are you working 10 and 11 every day? Are you taking somebody through this deal? You know, your actions will tell you if you followed through on the decisions. And it says, <clears throat> at the end of the next paragraph, this is only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made, humility is the key here because you're seeking the power and you're doing it because you don't have the power. And remember, we have to have a power to live and it can't be me. And it says, an effect sometimes a very great one was felt at once. And I know I've done this with other people. Uh, back there, we get down on our knees and we say, and they tell me, you know, I really feel different. I feel different. And, and uh, every time I do it every morning, I feel better. I say this prayer and I say, God direct my thinking, especially divorce it from selfish, dishonest, self-seeking motives. It says, now here is the key. You want to get better. You want to change this chart. You want to live a spiritual life. It says next. You say the prayer next. <coughs> now, any time between saying the prayer next is when you do the fourth step. It says next, we launched on a course of vigorous action. Vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us have never attempted. Now, they're not talking about getting the mini maids to clean your house. They're calling about cleaning your mind from the things in it that have been blocking it from God. Now, if this is you and you live the life on self, when you come here, you're full of resentments and fear. And you've harmed a lot of people. You have shame and guilt. And, and we have to look at this and we have to clean this from our mind. If I want God to direct my thinking and under his care, how can I direct my thinking when I'm full of fear and angry all the time and I have shame and guilt? And that's the process of four through nine, to be rid of this so that God can direct us. Joe and Charlie make the point that we're like a 7-Eleven, our mind. And when you go in, you see all the stuff in the, in the floor, all the stuff on the racks, that's our resentment. And then you look at all the stuff in the freezer, that's fear. And in the back room is our shame and guilt. Now, how can God direct that, that mind? And so this is why people... I believe, who don't follow through in step three don't make it because their minds are still full of resentment, fear, and harm, and they're separated from God, and then they don't like this, the, uh, the way they feel, and they need the sense and ease of comfort of alcohol. It's not that complicated. Because we're going to read two paragraphs, three paragraphs down where it says you're going to drink over your resentments and die. Now it says, though our decision was a vital and crucial step, vital means necessary for life. So you can't really follow through unless you've made a serious commitment in the third step. It can't be lip service. It has to be right down in here that you really, you really can't manage your life anymore. You don't want to do it. You're done. And it says it can have little permanent effect unless at once. So here's the terms. Next and at once is when you do your fourth step. Now you hear all sorts of stuff at the meetings. You wait a year. I heard one guy do a step a year. I said, my God, you'll be dead by the time you get to step 12. 
And, you know, none of that makes sense. They took people through the steps quickly. Why? Because sober is when you have the disease. And if you don't have a relationship with God, you have no power to keep you from drinking. So why would you wait? I heard people say, well, I make my sponsees wait a month or two. Why? Why? Now, some people do. It's not in the big book. The big book says next and at once. The, the old timers took people right through the steps right away. They did it in the, in the Akron, in the, in, the, in the hospital. They let, them, they let them have a day or two to get their mind together. And then in five days, they had a five-day thing and they were gone. They started working the steps. They took all the steps by the time. Then they went out and they did their amends. And then they went to the meetings. And originally, they worked the steps before they went to the meetings. Now, we have a lot of people who need help now in AA. A lot of people come here. So it's different. So uh, we have to get them as soon as possible into the book. And that's why I started this meeting. So people would study the book, so they'll do it. Now it says, uh, at once followed a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in me which had been blocking me from God. Now if I've made a decision for God to direct my life, and I'm not going to play God, I have to face and be rid of them, the things that are blocking me from the power. See, in AA, you don't get smart. You don't, you don't read this book, and you take a test, and then you have God working in your life. What you do in AA is you let go of all the things that are killing you. Constantly, you let go of the things in your head that is killing you and separating you from God. We call them old ideas. And so we have to let go of all these old ideas, these things we know that are blocking us from the power. And so the whole program can be summed up in two words, letting go. And so today, what else was I wrong about? What else did I need to let go of? Chuck uh, C. used to say, uncover, discover, and discard. And he would wake up every day and he'd say, what else am I going to find out, God, that I'm wrong about today? And so, um, blocking me from the power. Now here's a, it's an interesting thing. It says liquor was but a symptom. See, alcohol has nothing to do with this. Alcohol was the solution to my spiritual malady. Alcohol is a spirit. We have people who have issues with drugs and alcohol. We have alcohol addiction, drug addiction. Whatever it is, you're addicted to something that will change the way you feel because you don't like living a self-centered life. And it's just a symptom. And now it says I have to get down to the causes and conditions of exactly what is my problem. And so um, it says, therefore, we start upon a personal inventory. This was step four. Now, you're not going to inventory how much you weigh or if you need to dye your hair or if, you know, these personal things. You're inventorying your mind. You're inventorying your thinking. You're looking at your thoughts and your ideas and what you've accumulated through a life of, of self-centeredness. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. And I don't know when you came in here if you can remember all the, all the nonsense you had in your head. And the sad thing is we thought it was true. You know, if they would change, or if he would change, or if I could do this or that. And, and we have to see now how it's not true. So he talks about this was step four. Now I have this little uh, chart here, and this is what they do um, to um, uh, an analogy of what we're going to try to do with our personal inventory. It says, a business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Anybody agree with that? So what they're implying is that when we came here, we were broke. We were broke spiritually. A lot of us were broke uh, 
really broke. A lot of people didn't have jobs and all sorts of things, but we were broke spiritually. Um, it says, uh, uh, now for instance, Walmart, they inventory all the time. Anybody use Amazon? Anytime you buy anything on Amazon, the computer tells you what you bought. So they know people like that. So when you pull up something, that's going to come first. They're not going to show you the stuff that nobody wants. They're going to show you the stuff that people want. So taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. You want to find the facts and face the facts so that you can make a decision about the truth in the stock and trade. So what we're going to look in our mind, we're going to take a searching, fearless, moral inventory of ourselves. We're going to see the truth of ourselves. Moral means truthful. The truth of our thinking. We're going to see that our resentments are not true. Our fears are not true. And we're going to see how we harm people making decisions upon things that weren't true. And it says, in another, uh, one object is to disclose damaged or unsellable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. So we want to find the things in our mind, in our thinking, that's damaged or unsellable, and we want to get rid of them. Now, it's, uh, what month is this, February? They're already getting ready for Christmas. Target's already planning Christmas. They're already planning what they're going to sell because they know what they sold last year. And the stuff they didn't sell, they're not making more of those. They're making more of the stuff that they sold. And they're already planning how it's going to be on the shelves. And so we want to get rid of the stuff in my mind that's killing me. It's very important. Now, once you do this in step four, you do it every day in step ten. You start getting an idea, you start thinking of something, and you're getting some fear. Well, you're going to have to see how your fear is not true. If you're starting to get angry or bothered, you have to see how it's not true. You're going to change the way you see things. Does this make sense? It says if you're going to be successful, do you want to be successful? You cannot fool yourself about values. And it's very hard to do this by yourself reading it. That's why it's a written inventory. You put it on paper, and it gets it out of your mind. And then, and then you can't put it back in there. You have to look at it. You look at it with somebody else. That's why steps four and five are, uh, are done on paper and then with someone else. So here's what it says. Uh, we did uh, exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. So I'm going to look at my life prior to coming in here. And it, it says later in step five that we tell our life story. They don't want to know where I went to high school. They don't want to know what kind of grades I got at Duke. They want to know about my resentments, my fear. They want to know about my conduct. They want to know about the things as a result of my self-centeredness that were killing me. Now, in the fourth step, we learn very powerful tools to be rid of resentment. Isn't that great? Would anybody like to be rid of their anger? On page 66 and 67, we're going to learn prayers okay, so we can immediately let go of our anger. We learn how to deal with fear, and we learn prayer and how to deal with fear and have God remove the fear and direct your attention that we would be immediately. And then we look at our conduct, especially in our sex lives, and so we see how we hurt people, so we make a sane ideal for the future so we're not hurting people anymore. So I'm going to take stock of my life honestly. First, I'm going to search out the flaws in my makeup which caused my failure. Now, we're a failure when we come here. We're a failure in the business of living. 
and we're going to search out the things in my makeup which caused my failure. Now, the things in my makeup are the character defects as the result of my being self-centered, my, my dishonesty, my selfishness, my self-seeking, my inconsideration, my fear, my intolerance, my impatience. Anybody have any of those things? They're triggered when we're self-centered. So it says, being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. Are you convinced of that? You're going to look at its manifestations. Now, if you turn this over again, and you look at this uh, chart with the instincts of life, and you see self, the manifestations of self are the wrongs. And we're looking at the wrongs that are a result of self, and we inventory resentment, fear, and we look at harms in our sex conduct and in our conduct with relationships. These are the manifestations of a life run on self. It's not pretty. So it says, resentment is the number one offender. Number one, not number two. Number one, because it offends what? What is the offense that resentment does? What does resentment separate you from? God. You're, you're sitting at home, you're angry at somebody. Is God directing your thinking at that moment? No. Whatever you're angry at is directing your thinking, and that person's home watching Big Bang or the KU game, and you're sitting in your chair, and you're still in an upset. And so it offends you. It offends us in our relationship against God. And if we want to have a relationship with God, resentment is the number one offender. It separates us. Now, the word resentment, a lot of people um, look at it different ways. To me, resentment, the way that it was intended, is you're re-feeling anger about something that's happened in your past. But um, it could be wherever you were sore, or you were hurt or threatened by something, or where you were burned up or bothered. And so it doesn't have to be a crisis um, in something that you're thinking about all the time. But when you look back through your life, and you think about that person or event, you, get, you realize how angry you were about it. And it's still there under the surface. And if you, don't, if you don't deal with those things and look at them, they'll come back eventually. Because your mind will create things to separate you from God. That's what your ego does. And so you want to try to be as thorough as you can about all the negative feelings you've had in anger in your life. Now I heard, we had an argument a few years ago about how long a resentment becomes, anger becomes a resentment. And the guy who did it pounded the desk and said, I don't get angry, pounded the thing and left the room. Well, um, I, it, it's semantics. It says we have to be free of anger in the big book, the next page. Free of anger. I don't want to have power over me. The book doesn't say you won't get angry, but you don't want to stay angry. You want to be free of it. You don't want to have power. So we recognize when we get angry, and we stop. And we learn these tools so we don't become resentful. Does this make sense? And on 66 and 67, we learn prayers that you say whenever you get angry. So it destroys more alcoholics than anything else. Resentment will destroy me. From its stem, all forms of spiritual disease. So we have a spiritual disease, and the solution for the disease for us was alcohol. It didn't work. Did it work? If alcohol didn't work, you might try drugs. Did they work? No. It's a spiritual disease, and the only thing that will fix that is, this, is to have a relationship with the spirit.
So where it's conscious separation from God, we want conscious contact from God. That's the deal. We separate it from God. We have no power to live. And it says, from it stem all forms of spiritual disease. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. And when you live a life of self-centeredness, you're spiritually sick. I don't know about you, but there are people in my life who aren't, quote, alcoholics, who are very self-centered, and they're very spiritually sick. And they're full of resentment, and they're angry all the time. We're lucky because our resentments will kill us. So we have to do this, this program to survive, because if we get too angry, we'll drink, and then we're alcoholics, we can't control how much we drink. And I believe that's why God gave us this spiritual gift of this book, The Alcoholics, first, because he knew we would be desperate enough to do it, if you think about it. He picked us to do this, because we're desperate. And so uh, we come to here, we come here, we make a decision based on our pain and suffering, and we're willing to change. We believe we could change. We decide to change, and now we want to change. Now, have you been physically ill? Well, you've been physically ill in that you've been physically separated from the world. You're angry at a lot of people, right? You're ashamed of your conduct. You're also physically ill because you can't put alcohol on your body. And you're mentally ill because you see things wrong. You're, you, see, you see things that aren't true. You believe things that aren't true, your fears and your anger. And your mind uh, is not, is not, is not functioning on truth. It's functioning on lies. And we need to see the truth, and when we live on the truth, then our actions are better. And, and so it says, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. So it doesn't say that you talk about them or you think about them. You put them on paper. It doesn't say what kind of paper. It doesn't say what kind of pen. That's optional. Um, but it, this is serious stuff. It says, we listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. So you look through your whole life, anybody that you're ever angry at. And when you think of it, think about it, all your relatives, anybody you've uh, uh, worked with, anybody you went to school with, uh, anybody you had a relationship with, you'll get a lot of names. You'll see that you had a lot of anger. If you're a real alcoholic like me, you'll see how people bothered you your whole life. And, and you'll remember the, th the harms that were done to you. You'll remember when you were nine, 10 years old, you weren't picked for the all-star baseball team. And you were, you were devastated. And you were so angry at those counselors. I, actually, I think I was 12. And, and you were devastated because I wanted to go because I thought the whole world would be watching if I was, at the, if I was on the all-star team. And then if I wasn't, everybody would be watching as well. And, and um, it affected my self-esteem, and I was really upset with that. And what I learned later when I did my inventory many years was that the reason they didn't pick me was I wasn't good enough. And it wasn't really about me, and that, and that I was okay not being on the team. And so um, uh, you look through your life, it says whom you were angry. And, and you don't, I, I've, I've met people, they tell me, I'm, they're here, they're at their third meeting, they don't have any anger. I don't know what they have, they don't have what I had. But I think it's what they're saying the truth, they don't recognize it. 
They've lived their whole lives with fear and anger. They can't even see it. It's normal to them. And so you have to give them time. And over time, when you sit down with someone, you can start getting names, and then that'll trigger other names. You don't have to do this perfectly. This is not a test. It's for you to see how your whole life you spent so much time in anger. You wasted so much time being upset. And then you blamed everybody for your problems. And then, uh, so that's pretty simple. You make the first column is you list the people with whom you're angry. Anybody not be able to do that? It could be principles. You might not like the Ten Commandments. Institutions, you might not like Trump. You may not like the Democrats, the Republicans, the IRS, the police, uh, the college, church. It's endless on what alcoholics can be angry at. Then the second column, you asked yourselves why you were angry. What was the cause? What did they do? What did you perceive that they did? And then we'll finish with this. It says, in most cases, we found that my self-esteem, how I think about myself, good or bad, my pocketbooks, my money, my ambitions, my personal relationships were hurt or threatened. Now go back to this thing again. You see, these are the instincts of life. And this is what I, I want. These are normal instincts that everybody has, but the alcoholic, remember, self will run riot. And so if my pride is, is threatened, I get angry. If my self-esteem is threatened, I get angry. If my material is threatened, I get angry. And so we look at that, it says we were hurt or threatened. Now, I've read this a lot. I've done this meeting a lot. But something new came to me because I've been doing fears with three or four people. We've been going through fears in detail. And, and, you know, we say that all the resentments are based in fear, right? But the third column is really our fear list because it says, what was hurt or threatened? If my pocketbook's threatened, I'm afraid. If my ambitions are threatened, I'm afraid. If my self-esteem is threatened, I'm afraid. So whenever it triggers fear, I get angry at whatever it is. And so the fear is related to the resentments, and we're going to re when we get to the fear inventory, we're going to see how it's an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our life is wrapped in it. So does this make sense? Now we'll pick up with this inventory uh, next week, and we'll go through in detail exactly how we do it. So uh, I hope that was helpful, and uh, let me just shut this off. I just took a picture. Uh, oh well, where's my wife when I need her? You still work. Oh. Uh, stop it. <laughs> this is a tough group. 